Hey everybody, welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. I'm joined by the original lineup. Gar is not with us this week, he's on assignment. But fear not, because here is the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. How are you, my friend? I am actually feeling a bit uh, under the weather at the moment. Um, I don't have Mm. a a cold or a headache or anything, but... Uh, I, I've been kind of sapped of all of my energy today, so... Um, day, we, day after Patrick's Day. Hmm, got yeah, a cold, is it? Yeah, we don't... Uh, no, definitely isn't that. But um, I don't have any uh, COVID tests in the house. I'm going to go pick one up tomorrow morning, which is kind of necessary because uh, we are going to have a new kitten in the house tomorrow. So, oh. yeah, so the the person, the foster parent... It's coming to drop the kit off tomorrow, so I want to make sure that I know, like, okay, can they actually come in the house or not, or, or how that's going to yeah. go down. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'm feeling a bit, like, just a bit lethargic, but I'm here, I'm ready, ready to to give the hot takes and tell my <laughs> tell my tales of, of Limerick that I went to earlier this week, which I have to be honest, I know once upon a time... I know once upon a time, myself and you, Dave, we, we spoke about Limerick and you did refer to it as Stab City. And I, I, I feel that it's it's moved past that moniker. I had a very nice time in, in the city over the early part of this week. By the way, Mark, can I just confirm that? Are you getting a cat because you've listened to some alternative medicine and, and you're trying to get well as a cure for your current under the weatherness? No, no, just we, we've just decided that a cat would just be nice for the house because um, we just decided that a cat. We just decided that a cat, yeah, basically. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she's going to be called Mocha and she's like a kind of chocolate brown color and she's adorable. Oh, and- Mocha. I thought you said Mocha. I was like, are you just <laughs> adding an A to your own name and making it female? Or you're paying tribute to the Spanish newspaper of the same name? Don't be Mocha as Mocha. Yeah. <laughs> friend. Uh, joining us as well, he's the big boss man, which he's Jack Lazell. How are you, friend? Not bad. Dave, I'd like to tell you that hard work pays off, dreams come true, bad times don't last, but bad guys do. That's that's all I've got to say. Too sweet. Yeah. It was a tough week, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, not so much for me, um, and I realise this sounds really cold. <laughs> does not care about the death of Scott Hall. No, obviously it was sad, but like I didn't grow up watching Scott Hall, so there was uh, a certain like, you know, when when Guerrero died, I fucking was bawling my eyes out for that one. That was that was a painful one. Ah. But I didn't have the the emotional resonance that um, a lot of other people did for for Scott Hall. Um, But more just like, you know, reading some of the stuff today about uh, his last couple of years and and like I'm guessing you know relapses with alcoholism and stuff. Uh, yeah. It's you know it's it's a poison. It's it's I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. And uh, you know I at least I have the comfort that he's in a better place now. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I just want to say and Jack mentioned it off air, but uh, Dave did a, a an incredible job of uh, kind of summarizing his career and bringing other people on to talk about the, the career of Scott Hall over on the Days of Thunder podcast. So very good job with that, Dave. With, with a 10-minute section in the middle where Alan Farrell absolutely took the whole thing off rails in the as, best as way I've Alan ever is one to do. Yeah. Oh, no better dude. man to inject a bit of levity into an otherwise fairly somber program. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I'm not going to labor the point too much because as you said, I spoke for, like, I did a two-hour-plus podcast uh, in tribute to him this week. But, yeah, I like, 
I said on the show is like I don't have the nostalgia for the Razor Ramon era because I started watching in 96 so it was just as he was wrapping up in the Fed heading over to WCW so I just remember him as being like the coolest fucking dude in WCW um, and then coming back you know later to watch his old matches as Razor and uh, some Diamond Stud stuff as well and re-watching some stuff this week I, I, I like the more time goes on the more I appreciate what he did and who he was and um, yeah terrible loss 63 no age but at the same time like at certain points it didn't look like he was going to get anywhere near 63 um, so yeah rest in peace to the bad guy um to completely change tact, I want to go back to Marx uh, bearing the lead about his his trip down south this week. So, I mean, Mexico. The, the key thing, yeah. the key thing that I, I uh, want to talk about down South America way. The, the key <laughs> thing that I, I want to talk about is the fact that I am a man that is uh, now missing a uh, a retrograde pocket. Um, that somehow Jesus what a Paddy's day you had by the way I just want to point out Dave's like uh, oh sorry Mark was like oh yeah you know Limerick's really changed much better city now whatever someone stole Mark's red for his pocket full on got robbed I didn't get stacked in other news Barry Lad now has two retroid pockets (laughs) I'm not saying it has anything to do with the situation I I do just want to point out like forget what you've heard about the rumours Barry Lad absolute gent wonderful man um but yeah, so so we got there on <laughs> the rumors. <laughs> we we got there on the Monday, right? And uh, we checked in kind of like one, two in the afternoon, and um, go around do our stuff. And then the next morning, we head out to the the cliffs uh, about ten o'clock in the morning. Get back about sort of six in the afternoon. I get, we get back into the hotel. Uh, I go to my room and I can't like actually get into the room. The car just isn't working for whatever reason. So we go downstairs. And uh, the guy looks at the system, and for whatever reason, even though we checked in the day before, whatever for whatever reason, it it didn't actually register, so we weren't checked in. So like the hotel cards in that hotel, they just basically like go back to default, um, like twelve noon the next day. So we had to get it reprogrammed and checked in, and went back into our room. And after about twenty minutes, half an hour, I was looking around, thinking, oh, you know, I've got a bit of time to kill. I'll um, I'll pick up the Retroid because I was playing Mega Man X and having a grand old time getting back into that. And I start looking around and I'm like, I can't find this fucking thing. I know exactly where I put it the night before that I was playing it. Um, like next to the bed, there was like a not a war, like an, a kind of open wardrobe, if you will, and there was a shelf at the top. And I put it there with my my headphones, and my headphones are still there, uh, but you know, sans a Retroid pocket. So we take the the room apart. We haven't just, you know, just basically up upheaval the whole room to see if we can just find where the hell this thing got to. Gets to the point where I'm like, this thing is not here. So go downstairs and um, the, you know, the guy running the sort of late shift, uh, we start chatting away and I'm just like, look, here's the deal. I have this device, which first of all, trying to explain to basically anyone that isn't interested what exactly a retroid pocket is is a whole thing in itself um literally it's every game on one device <laughs> that you remember from the past 
Yeah. It's just picture just like an entire hotel staff that have bought one now. <laughs> yeah. Try, try I, love, I love the idea that it was this guy that stole it, had no idea what it was, and then Mark conveniently came and explained it all to him, yeah. and then he was it's able like, to do, sell it. Do I want to explain to someone who's over their 40s what a ROM or an emulator is? Well, in fairness, most people who know about ROMs and emulators probably are over 40 for like nostalgic reasons. But anyway, having a chat with him, and I'm just saying to him, like, look, I had this thing... Everything else in my room is accounted for. Like, I still have my my other device. Uh, headphones are there. Everything is in this room. But that one thing has gone missing. And I don't want to come down. And, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to accuse anyone. And I'm going to go back into my room and have a look for it again. But it's just not there. And this is when, like, you know, we probably realized that we hadn't been, you know, checked into the room. Or this guy hadn't realized we'd been checked into the room. So he's like... All right, I'm going to pass all the details on to, to the manager and we'll go from there. And obviously, like, at this point, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know how this is going to go because, like, I don't know if you've ever lost anything in a hotel room, but, you know, most hotels have a, a big sign saying, we don't hold responsibility if you if you lose anything. And mm-hmm. it's hard to sort of say that, hey, I've lost this thing because you, it's very difficult to prove that you've had this thing with you. So I didn't know how this was going to go down. Um but I go down to, to the manager of the hotel the next morning who's giving me all these details. And first of all, he looked absolutely like mortified about this whole thing. And he was very apologetic. And he was like, and, and I, again, I didn't know how this was going to go. I didn't want to go down shouting and screaming and swearing and accusing because even though I was like <laughs> 99.9999% sure that that fucking thing was not in that room anymore, I didn't want to go down shouting and screaming. And then either I go back up to the room and find it he goes back up to the room or find it or, you know, somewhere along the way the, the thing is sound because then I look like the prick and I didn't want that. But I just love you just go, go up to him just give me my retro pocket, you son of a bitch. And he's just <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, but no, first of all, he'd be like, what's a retro pocket? And I was like, fuck, we're doing this again. Yeah, um, that's, when, that's when you, that's when you, start punching him that seems yeah. like the only logical explanation so but what basically he like says look look we've checked and obviously you weren't checked into your room the the landlady the, the house uh, keeper went into the room thinking that there was nothing there we put a sign on it saying like do not disturb she's gone into the room seen that there's stuff in the room come out come to me i've gone into the room checked you know and then that was as far as we were aware the last of it and then whatever happened between then and you know me coming back that evening that thing has just disappeared he has no idea i have no idea and i'm guessing because of that because we weren't checked in the first day he just like put his hands up and said look it's on us how much was the device i said it was 150 quid and he like just basically gave me 150 quid cash for it. Now at that moment, there was obviously the bit in the back of my mind that just went, "Should I have said 200? Should I have said 300? Six and a half thousand euro." <laughs> but I am not. I am an honest man with integrity who also is thinking, if this son of a bitch looks up how much a retroid pocket is, then I'm fucked. So no, I'm not. Just no, 150 quid. And he gave me 150 quid cash. Um, yeah. And yeah, which I, you know, I imagine isn't usually how that sort of thing goes down. Uh, and naturally, at the end of this story, I haven't replaced my retro pocket. I've used that money, spent another 150 quid, and got myself an Odin Pro because, uh, you know, I've had a taste for the retro emulator market and I want boy. some more. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, but other than that, Limerick, Limerick, great place. Loved it. I I have developed a working theory, and I think I know who you can blame it on, Mark. Is it going to be Barry? No, Terry I Wogan? think I think 
Nintendo have been listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and came to reclaim their intellectual property is, from is you that what it is? by Gary whatever Bowser means necessary. Himself to Limerick. Yeah. I think I I think you were very lucky that you were out of the hotel room at the time because Doug Bowser had a silenced pistol and he was going to put two in you if that's what it <laughs> took to get his retroid back. Wait, what? <laughs> do you think so? Like, do you think it, when they got was it Gary Bowser, the guy who's in prison now for emulating the Nintendo stuff? Oh yes, stuff? that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Do you think? There was just like a, a board with loads of bits of string coming off it, like Pepe Sylvia style. And there's a direct line from Bowser to Mark. Yeah. He's like the next step. I mean, if, if that's the case, all I'm going to say is you three fuckers better watch your back. Yeah. I don't I, have mine yet. Maybe, maybe I, I never will receive it now. I just think in his like Agent 47 style loadout when he leaves Nintendo of America headquarters, Doug Bowser like carries his pistol and his repel wire and all that inside a giant shell. Yeah, <laughs> just no. I'd like it if it was a shell, but tied to like a stick, like it was a bindle. Yeah. And like as as soon as he neutralized your retroid, he definitely did the. I mean, yeah. all I'm thinking now is that I want a, a Mario Rabbit style crossover, but it's with Hitman. I mean, yeah, I I'm want, here for it. I would cross everything <laughs> over with Hitman. You think? You think if that happened, we would? ever see Jack again. <laughs> like, just fucking Mario comes into Rome and just, like, buries that fucking fire axe into a Cooper's skull. <laughs> yeah. Do you go, I mean, have you guys ever seen in uh, Sapienza, which is a level that literally has everything, there is a Mario and a Luigi. There are two plumbers that yeah. exist in the tunnel that, like, runs from the city to the mansion. One of them's wearing, like, a red jumpsuit. One of them's wearing a green jumpsuit. For real. I, I was hoping for, like, a deeper cut they'd look more like uh, Bob Hoskins and whoever the fuck the other guy was <laughs> Bob Hoskins and not Bob Hoskins <laughs> Bob Hoskins and some guy who was the other guy in that movie I now have to look that up um, because you're right I can't remember either I was about to mock you for like how dare you I ref- can see his face his I, name I is on the tip Jack, of my tongue if you could pull that one from fucking deep in your loins I'd be impressed Isn't no you- I know wh- I know who wh- well it is and I'm going to kick myself when you say it Jack it it it, it is the immortal John Leguizamo. Yeah. Yeah. Who, yeah, has has gone on to do many other things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, apart from be Luigi Mario. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but he was, I mean, most notably of all, of course, in John Wick at one point. Yeah. So, you know. John Wick. Exactly. Yeah. Um, hey, let's just get to shit we've seen. Mark, you were on your travels. It doesn't look like you've seen anything. Um... Nah, nah. Mainly just been watching more Taskmaster this week. Um, oh yeah. yeah, did you see their speech at the Comedy Awards? It that. was fantastic. That was, yeah, that was exactly how you'd want the speech from those two yeah. idiots to go. So tremendous. But uh, tremendous no, I, I really want to see uh, seeing red. That's kind of like the big thing I want to see. Or turning red. Turning red. Turning red. Yeah. Um, I want to. See you were seeing red in the hotel, mate. Naturally, obviously, yes. But Seeing Red is the Roy Keane documentary, of course. I could put that on the list as well, I guess. But no, otherwise no, I don't have anything. I think you'll find the Roy Keane documentary is called Show It Up Your Bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stick it up your bollocks, the Roy Keane story. <laughs> so let's go straight to <laughs> Jack. What, what have you seen this week? I have seen a lot of movies this week. Uh, yeah, man. I had some time off and usually when I have time off work, I will go and see basically any like random smaller movies that i might normally just wait for to come 
come out or whatever and not not necessarily go in but i've got a cinema card i don't feel like i've been getting the best out of it lately really so i i went the whole hog this week and saw three films so the first of which is a movie called the duke which is about a uh, a cab driver in his 60s from Newcastle, who is so furious that old people have to pay a television license in in England in the sixties, and war veterans and disabled people that they're that, that he's like campaigning. This is their one connection to the world. Why do they have to pay a TV license? All this because, by the way, he was sent to prison for refusing to pay his television license and even removed the coil from his television that, that that connected him to the BBC. So he only had ITV on his TV, which is quite funny. Um, and uh, basically, he he's trying to campaign for it. And instead of you know, finding any audience when he came down to London for his campaign, his son decided to steal uh, a picture of Arthur Wellesley, <laughs> the Duke of Wellington, and uh, by Francisco de Goya and hold it ransom. And that is the premise of the movie. So it, it's just, there's something, and I think it's, it's, it's notable in the other movie as well. There's something insanely British um, in, in the best way about this story because it's just kind of filled with the kind of micro failures and, and weirdness that uh, all of our comedy seem to revolve around in the past in particular. Like This is a very old school movie even though it's made in 2022, obviously set in the 60s and stuff. And I don't know, Jim Broadbent, I don't really think he gets oodles of credit for like how good of an actor he is like personally i think he's in his late 70s early 80s now and every time i see him in 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 different bits and pieces he's just so fantastic he's just such a likable on-screen presence and the the central pairing is him and helen mirren who plays his sort of hard done to wife as he kind of loses jobs and you know gets himself into trouble and is largely ignored for all of the campaigning that he's doing um and the central moment of the movie really is a courtroom scene. And that's why I feel like this movie, the biggest parallel that I can kind of compare it to is, is my cousin Vinny, um, mm. where you have all of this weirdness and this kind of town that, uh, <laughs> that they turn up in, um, which is all of the weirdness that's happening in Benmore and Newcastle. And then at the end of the movie, there's this like fantastic scene of you know, the main character of the movie played by Joe Pesci, just absolutely killing it in court. And it's similar here where you have Jim Broadbent just in the in the stands, basically saying that he's not guilty of stealing the painting that he's already confessed to stealing. And he just nails it. And it's like 20 minutes, half an hour of just, it's just so funny. And like, su- like there's such humility. And it's, it's, it's a, just a very well done, gentle, good time of a movie that uh, I, I would thoroughly recommend watching. I, I don't know if either of you have seen anything about it. Um, I've seen a watch. trailer for it and it looks... Yeah. Um, it looks heartwarming enough, and I, I really like Jim Broadbent. So um, yeah, yeah, I, I think I'd like to see it. It it must be said that I feel it's my patriotic duty to bring up every time Jim Broadbent is mentioned. One of the more appalling Irish accents in the history of cinema, uh, in Perrier's Bounty. It's like I think I maybe mentioned it on the show a long, long time ago. It's like he's in it, and like the very first word he says is the name Michael, and 
you're lured in because he says Michael perfectly in a flawless Irish accent. And then from there, it just goes full diddly idle. Maybe oh. that's the only word he learned how to say. Yeah. It's full lost me lucky charms uh, after that. It's it's tough. But uh, yeah, I love Jim Broadbent, generally speaking, as well. Yeah, he, uh, he's great in this movie. Um, hmm. So the second movie I saw uh, was a movie called Red Rocket. This is one I've really wanted to see. Yeah. Now, so the central premise is a guy coming home to his podunk tiny town uh, in Texas that he's from, from Los Angeles after a career in the porn industry. Um, And then just sort of trying to hustle himself back in essentially to to the not necessarily the big time but get himself back to where he once was and he has absolutely no idea um how he's going to do it or what he's going to do and within the first 10 or 15 minutes because at first you see him and he looks like he's really struggling um and he goes back to his ex-wife's house uh she lives there with like an elderly mother they don't want anything to do with him, you know, and you kind of feel a bit rough for him. Like, oh, you know, this, this guy, obviously something's happened to him out there. Cause he, he comes, he's got like a black eye and all sorts of stuff. You just think, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. Something must've really gone down. But within maybe 20 minutes or so, you realize why he is in the situation he's in. He is a terrible terrible person an absolute scumbag (laughs) a liar a cheat a swindler a dickhead and he is the central figure of the movie so what occurs after that really is you're watching the movie and the sort of rise of somebody getting themselves back on track and getting things better for themselves in a movie for someone you are actively rooting for to fail um he is a creep. He starts uh, a relationship with with a seventeen year old girl um, in Texas who who's like just ridiculously fun and adorable. And you're like, please, uh, please don't fall for this guy's charms. And she does. And you kind of spend the whole rest of the film as as things are getting better for him, just going, somebody karma in some way needs to fucking own this guy. Um, and I'll kind of leave it there and not say too much. But yeah, I, I knew very little about the movie kind of going into it. I, I, I'd read like the rough premise and, and the bits and pieces that um, that I'd seen across media about it. And I was blown away by how very good it was, how entertaining it was, like the central acting performance in the movie, even though I think it's probably the hardest thing to do is play uh, a, just a complete without any, you know, scruples douchebag um of this as a central role and it was uh simon rex who played him and he was absolutely fantastic seemingly there are elements of this that are lifted from his own life yeah um so like it's it's kind of like the perfect performance who from this guy who is like you may not know the name simon rex but you absolutely know his face like he's such a that guy yeah, lots of t- lots of TV, uh, lots of like movies, but not particularly big movies. You know, just like little bits and pieces here and there. He's in a lot of the bad, you know, blank Parody. movies. Yeah, so yeah. he shows up in the scary scary movie movies as one of the main characters after they get really really bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not like the early ones where people were kind of half paying attention, but yeah, yeah the the sort of latter ones, and yeah. 
there is I think there is an element of of himself in this movie um but he he was just such a he's just such a fantastic um magnetic presence in this lead role and maybe if it is that feeling of like him going through hollywood and hollywood kind of taking a few lumps out of him and his desperation to get back on top that he would have you know interpreted into this role as this person i hope he's not that much of a dickhead in real life to be honest um but yeah the the main character and and he's got the best porn star name it's mikey saber um so there's loads of people that oh hey man mikey saber um great porn name uh, but yeah had you mm. seen bits and pieces about it Dave um, so I'd seen pretty much the same as you I saw yeah. like I, I, I saw like maybe a clip and I heard all the, the buzz it was getting so it was mm. like it's definitely on the list for me and even uh, Red Letter Media who you know I'm a, a, a a huge fan of uh, yeah. did a video talking about how much they loved it and when it's a movie I haven't really heard and Jay and Mike start going to town about how much they really like it I'm like right okay this is definitely on the list now and uh, yeah I just need to get around to watching it now it's funny because again like I mentioned Simon Rex for me the thing when uh, when I see his face that I remember mostly is that in one of those bad scary movies he did like an 8 mile parody oh god uh, where he does, you know, the rap battle scene that's with Anthony Mackie in the yeah in the actual film, except yep. his uh, his rap battle is against Fat Joe. <laughs> oh man! And the guy who plays the MC in it is Anthony Anderson. Um, and it's funny because when I think about that scene now, and I'm just like, of the people involved in that, the person who is now most famous is none of those three men who were like big characters in that it's and Anthony Anderson's little friend in it is Kevin Hart wow yeah <laughs> so it's you know Kevin Hart managed to survive being in probably was a scary movie three four or five one of them mm. <laughs> to go on to have a career after that um, but yeah no I'm, I'm really excited to see Red Rocket yeah so I, actually when I was coming out of the Batman I saw that the, the cinema in Parnell Street was actually showing it yeah, I, I'd recommend it, and I think so. Susanna's son, who plays the um, the seventeen year old who who works in the local donut shop that that he kind of stars this erstwhile relationship with, has got star potential written all over her. It's one of those performances where it's like this is her first big movie. I think um, she's already been cast um, in in a thing that's going to be on HBO about the music industry. Um, uh, I think it's called it's called The Idol so I think it's like vaguely in line with like American Idol and stuff and she's nominated for a couple of awards for this performance but she's, it's just one of those things she's just so magnetic on the screen and just incredibly she, she has that like just that star feeling you know when you just see it when you just lock your eyes on somebody and you're like okay yeah this person has something so I think that this is like definitely if anything just watch it now to get in on the ground floor and Susanna Sun and like go and tell all your friends about this awesome young actress that is going to be massive I think in a few years time yeah uh the final thing I saw which I actually saw today because it came out today Friday as we sit here and record this is a movie called The Phantom of the Open now do you guys know anything about this I I have seen one poster for it um and let's just say if 
you're about to tell me that the film was good. The poster does it absolutely no favours whatsoever. <laughs> but I, I did in the back of my head think, Jack will see that. You're right. I <laughs> <laughs> So it, it's the... And the best thing about this movie, right, is that much like the the subject of the first movie that Jim Broadbent plays, uh, Mark Rylance plays Maurice Flitcroft, who is genuinely one of the the most fun kind of fun stories I think in in sports that I just had absolutely no awareness of. So this guy who worked on a shipyard in Barrow and Furnace, which is sort of one of the most cut off kind of bleak parts of the UK, I would say. Sorry if anybody in Barrow is listening to this, but I think you would kind of agree with that. Um, He just gets one day, like the stars in his eyes, he spent his whole life supporting his family. And he's like, you know, I want to follow my dreams now. And his dream is that he wants to be a professional golfer. And the problem is that he's 46 and he works in a shipyard in Barrow and he has no money and he's fucking terrible at golf. (laughs) So when all those things kind of add up together, uh, it doesn't really give him a great platform to, to kind of go off. But because the British Open, as the Americans refer to it, or as the Open Championship, as most people could correctly refer to it, is what it says it is. It is open. It is possible for me or Dave or Mark to be really good at golf, go for a few qualifying rounds and actually qualify for the tournament, right? Unfortunately uh, for Morris, he's not allowed to join any clubs or have anything to do. So what he does is he just lies on his application form and says he's a professional golfer. And this was the 70s. So... The woman looked at it and she was like, oh, wow. I mean, if he says he's a professional, he must be a professional. So this guy who had never actually played a full round of golf at a golf club because no golf clubs would accept him because he had no money and was unable to apply for any. His first ever full round of golf on a golf course was the first round of the 1976 Open Championship, (laughs) which is like, really? This actually, and it actually happened. Now, guys... You know, I don't know how much you know about golf, but usually, uh, go on, Dave, are you going to say something? Ball in the hole, keep the score low. Right, exactly. Keep the score low, right? So 18 holes, you usually have a par of around anywhere from sort of 70 to 72 shots. Um, his round, he shot 121 shots in his one round and, and finished comprehensively, uh, 50 strokes over par, uh, and as as you could imagine, was immediately kicked out of the tournament and was pretty much barred from entering any other professional tournament after that. But that didn't stop him. That didn't stop him at all. He carried on entering tournaments under different names. Uh, so he, he, he styled himself as a Frenchman called Gerard Oppie. Um, and, 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 and it didn't say Surely you'd have to prove some like verification you are who you are. Nope. What? <laughs> this is it. You can enter into we, the open qualifying. We we grew up in uh, the era where distrust has only grown. You got to remember that, like, you know, before our time, an awful lot was taken on good faith. 
<laughs> pretty much yeah they just accepted it um and it, it is gen it's a genuinely true story and he he tried to enter into british open qualifying under like four or five different names there was one that was like count von something that i've already forgotten count von hammerberg or something like that and <laughs> um, that flashed up at the end of the movie that cracked me up but um you know he he was kind of struggling in life a few years after all this stuff happened you know he kind of lost his job at the shipyard and it was a bit rough but in his honor a bunch of people in america um in michigan named a golf tournament after him because so taken were they over in america with this story of this guy who's absolutely shocking who managed to con his way into the open um, and they invited him over to like honor a decade later and he did loads of interviews and stuff on tv in america so you just get this really sweet moment at, at the end of the movie where he's being celebrated by all of these people in america that he's never met and yeah had no real connection to but i just mark rylance sells the whole thing brilliantly um he's a guy who whenever i see his name in the cast of a movie i immediately know that it's going to be a good film and at very least, the the moments that he's in it are going to be really good because he just completely disappears into characters. Um, Sally Hawkins, absolutely fantastic. She plays his wife. She's like the real linchpin of the movie. She was, she's fucking incredible. Like a really just good an actress. Unbelievable actress. Yeah, just so good, so good. She got her flowers a few years ago. Um, in Shape of Water, obviously, you know, love that movie. Just, just an incredible film, and I like. How can you not love her in Paddington as well? She's just completely, she's completely adorable and uh, continues that level of, of brilliance here. And I've now seen two movies in the last sort of three or four months where Reese Ifans plays a moustache twiddly villain, essentially. And in this, he plays like the head of the RNA, the Royal and Ancient, um, which is the, the the company that runs all of golf uh, in Europe. And he plays a Scottish guy called Lambert, who is absolutely furious at Mark Rylance and uh, basically starts following him around, trying to catch him out under all of these things. Like the, the fake moustache of when he enters the open at Gerard Oppie is, is, is fantastic. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, Risa Fan sees through it as well, but he's, he's also very good. And, I said the first film was heartwarming. Um, this is heartwarminger, um, to, to use a word that isn't a word. Uh, it's just a brilliant, brilliant story. And again, it kind of celebrates Britishness in a way that I don't know if anybody in this country really celebrates success the way they celebrate failure with a smile. So for instance, like, you know, the parable of Eddie the Eagle, who was just a guy who wanted to be a ski jumper and it was absolutely shocking, but managed to qualify for the Olympics, came in last place and they made a movie about him and he's a bit of a legend over here. You know, instead of us celebrating like sporting excellence or, you know, anybody from this country that has actually achieved things um, that didn't, you know, have a horrible shady link to some sort of colonialistic past, we just love a person that sets themselves up for just a big old failure but does it with a smile on them face. I think we'd rather we failed with style than uh, we ever won anything. It's like a weird sub part of our culture and our humour that kind of revolves around it. And this movie just hits that spot absolutely perfectly. And if you wanted to distill 
Britishness into a movie um, and not the ugly parts of Britishness but the parts that put a smile on your face I think this is the perfect example of that and yeah uh, mm. I thoroughly recommend for anyone that has any interest in just if you love a sports movie which I, I really fucking love a sports movie then this is really good but it is much more of a human tale than it is uh, anything to do with golf because I know not a lot of people's tastes are going to be centred around golf but yeah Phantom the Open hard recommend hard recommend for all three of those movies but that one in particular got me uh today so yeah yeah thanks for that jack um so i i i'm not going to spend too long on this because it's not exactly a, a current or hot take but i decided this week was finally after threatening for it for so long this was and this may shock you jack but i have never watched better call saul i think i knew that um yeah because we've never had a conversation about it yeah. But I am now incredibly intrigued as to what's about to follow. I think you're going to say incredibly incensed. <laughs> I am furious. No, I know you hadn't seen it. Cause I, I think the, when the last series finished, I think I messaged you like, this show is the best thing that barely anyone I know watches. Please watch it at some point. It's fantastic. Yeah. I think the thing was when it originally came along it was like I wasn't ready to go back into that world yet uh Breaking Bad is so perfect is you know in a lot of people's Mount Rushmore for for TV shows it's it's in my my top ones even though I've I've never gone back to rewatch it the whole way through um and I just wasn't ready to go in. And also there's the there's always the niggling fear that a spin-off is going to be lesser than or a kind of like a poor replication of what the original that you loved so much did. So I remember watching like maybe the first couple of episodes at the time. And there is that thing in the first couple of episodes of season one where they reintroduce characters from Breaking Bad or obviously because this takes place before Breaking Bad it's technically introducing them for the first time in the timeline and it's done in a way of kind of like it's not the most obvious nod and a wink stuff but it's also kind of a little bit nod and a wink you know this guy huh huh yeah um in particular so, when you get to the fifth episode centered yeah. around Mike yeah so I, to me I was kind of like yeah, no, I don't know if this is going to be for me. So I, I stopped watching at the time. And now the the final season is in the can and it's it's going to be coming out not too long from now, I believe. Um, So I went, right, I need to, to get up to speed on this. And I love Bob Odenkirk. I'm a Mr. Show fan. I loved Saul in, in Breaking Bad. So, by the way, the last series nearly killed him. Um, yeah, he had a heart attack right on, sec, right yeah. on set and um, managed to come back and recover from it and stuff. So I think you owe it to Bob Odenkirk, yeah. really, if and, he puts and, that level of effort yeah. in. And as noted, TAP fans uh, on this podcast, we, we love Michael McCain. Um, oh, hell so yeah. get to see him in a, in a, a, a TV show is great. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm nine episodes in now, um, so I'm just coming towards to the end of, of season one, and I am absolutely in. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be full. The character, the character that that Saul embodies in the show is kind of like a 
in in Breaking Bad is an element of his persona that's referred to in Better Call Saul as Slippin' Jimmy. And I think if we got Slippin' Jimmy used car salesman Saul Goodman all the time as the main character of a TV show, I think it would wear on yeah, me. You can't do that. Yeah. But, I mean, Better Call like, Saul Goodman is... You know, to borrow a wrestling analogy, that's him appearing as in kayfabe, right? That's, that's his gimmick. gimmick. And yeah. what you're seeing is you're seeing Jimmy, the man, yeah. and Jimmy the man is ten times more interesting than Soul the gimmick. Yeah. So it's like maybe two episodes in or so, you get like the layers start to peel back and you get some intrigue and you get what's going on. Like I think initially the condition that his, that his brother Chuck played by Michael McKean is going through feels a little bit gimmicky as well. But I think again, all the stuff that might seem a bit much at the start, especially if you're coming off Breaking Bad, you know what I mean? And the kind of like, like dramatic high point that that ends on. I, I think maybe you're, like I certainly obviously at the time wasn't ready for it but now I'm watching it and giving it more of a chance and yeah I'm I'm proper in again and it's 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 given me like it's not rising to the level of Breaking Bad but that's you know that's a very 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 high bar to set against it and again much like Breaking Bad which took about a season and a half to two seasons to get going depending on who you you ask I am assured that Better Call Saul only improves and I'm already invested. So, yeah. D- uh, Dave, it just honestly, it gets to the point in the show where you, sometimes I will sit and, you know, when new things come out, I'll watch them. But, you know, I might respond to a uh, a message, a text, something like that. When I watched new episodes of Better Call Saul in the last series when they came out, I literally would turn all the lights out in my room. I would ignore everything and I would just fucking watch the show because it got to the point where it was so insanely engrossing. And the thing that I love about the show, and I don't know what your take on this would be, is that by the end of um, Breaking Bad, it was essentially, it was like a thriller, right? It started out as a slow, slow paced drama. And then by the end, it was like full on thriller territory. And it just, crescendoed so hard and then to go from that to Back or Saul which is slower methodical it's mm. all about you know the pauses in between they'll build up drama but the Long drama shots. is yeah it's kind of low stakes and what takes me the first series or two of, of Back or Saul are the acting performances and just mm. how Great. Like Bob if you think Bob Odenkirk is good as a soul in Breaking Bad, Bob Odenkirk as Jimmy in Battle Soul is just another level of fantastic, right? He yeah. finds humanity in a character that seems to be beyond parody and gimmickry and just isn't a real person and you you yeah. meet the real person. He he's by and large like you know, he's 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 comic relief a lot of the time in Breaking Bad Mm. and he's the one character that you might argue as much as we all love Bob is like right on the bleeding edge of being a bit too cartoony for that world. Um, But yeah, like Jimmy is a different beast altogether. Yeah. Um, Ray Seahorn. um, I honestly don't understand why people who've watched the show and cast 
stuff aren't throwing money at her left, right, and center. She mm-hmm. is unbelievable. Um, she, to me, as the show progresses, she becomes the best thing about the show. Yeah. Um, and the painful thing that amounts, and this isn't a spoiler because we've seen Breaking Bad, and Ray Seahorn's not in Breaking Bad, Dave. Yeah. And the more you watch the show, the more in love you will fall with Ray Seahorn, and you just think, God, what happens? Yeah. How does she exit Jimmy's life? And how does he just go full soul? And is that the reason? And you just hope that the reason is that she just knew she just got to the point where she thought better of it and had to walk away. But I I think so painfully about what happens to Ray Seahorn. Um and I just I just hope that they, they do something with her that doesn't make me just terrified for her. Um but yeah, she she's brilliant. Uh, okay. Jonathan um, Mike what's his name Jonathan Banks, Banks. Mike D- the Mike episode of the first series of Better Call Saul I think it's episode 5 mm. and you find out why Mike left the police force in Philadelphia and how he ends up where he is is so fantastic um, and that is to, to me like if anyone was is struggling with Better Call Saul, just watch it until the Mike episode, and it just really ups the intrigue, and that's when they start to cross Mike and Jimmy's lives over. But in particular, like, did you what did you think of that episode? Because that fucking knocked me out the first time I saw it. Yeah, I think that's the episode where, like, I proper was like, okay, we're on some serious shit here. Like, I was already starting to get kind of pulled in by the performances and stuff like that but that Jonathan Banks episode who like I love Mike in Breaking Bad but Mm. like he never really gets that chance to shine on the level and put in a performance the level he does in this single episode so it was great to see you know a, a bit part character in Breaking Bad get that time to shine and it's clear um oh Vince Gilligan had a tremendous amount of time for Jonathan Banks, the actor, oh. and wanted to give him that. Yeah. Um. And like, even from the very, like, the very early interaction and how him and Jimmy meet and that relationship in the early stages is great. Yeah. Um. You and know you know that? how they become properly intertwined with each other. Then is, yeah. is you know what I mean? It it all. It's just so good. It's just a phenomenal show. And it's it's making me want to, as soon as I get this run done and get caught up, it's like, okay, maybe it is finally time for the Breaking Bad rewatch. Yeah. I Do you know what, as well, I think about um, Jonathan Banks and y- you see him in Breaking Bad when all of the shit has gone down. And the when he first comes into the show, you really don't like him because he's kind of in direct opposition for Walt. And there's still part of you that's kind of rooting for Walt at that point and then towards the back end of that when they twist what happens with Gus in without putting too much too many spoilers out there you realize that Jonathan Banks is actually a good man he is a moral compass he can see in Jesse that this is also not a bad person they are people that as a result of decisions they've made and circumstances they've ended up in being caught up in a web and they're not bad people Mm. they're like moral compasses and they both end up in 
horrendous situations and you never really you get that context with jesse you never get it with mike and when you do get it it makes so much sense and he is that guy in the show as well is that around all of these fucking chuckleheads that he ends up with there is a decent guy uh there is a nice person and it kind of gives you hope um in the show even though you kind of know where it goes for jonathan banks in in breaking bad but yeah and it's interesting because like you know the the line that was often trotted out about breaking bad was vince gilligan used to always say the premise for the show was what if mr chips became scarface yeah you know and it's interesting because now Better Call Saul is almost like reverse engineering that idea because it's like, okay, we've shown you some of these characters as absolute pieces of shit, but now we're going to wind the clock back and you're not going to believe it, but we're going to make you fucking care about them, mm-hmm. you know? And like already again, one season in, it's it's a masterful job and it's just like... This dude, this is like Vince Gilligan, like just supremely talented. And obviously, you know, it's it 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 takes a village. So there's a full staff of writers and stuff like that around him. But you want to talk about a fucking hit rate for shows that you're the the lead on? Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> like two all timers here. He's his the artfulness at which he tells stories. Yeah, is, is crazy, and you know. How many? Yeah, like sh- he's also on a little show called the X Files, right? This. Yeah, yeah. And that's where he met Brian Cranston, so that was like a perfect storm. Mm. But I normally don't like it when shows reverse engineer, or you know, they feel the need to do what in the comic book age is like either the retcon or the origin story, yeah. and they tell it just to tell it, you know? Yeah. But. He probably had no idea he was making this show mm. until towards the end of Breaking Bad, right? He had he had no idea. And just out of complete just genius. I honestly think genius is the right word. He manages to tell this compelling story about this guy. He makes you care, like you just said. And I, it's just such a rare talent that he, this guy has to be able to pluck something out of the air and care so deeply about the lore of his own show yeah. that everything that he does in context makes complete sense it's, and it's just so well executed I, I think on a final note um, before Mark falls asleep yeah sorry Mark we, <laughs> we, uh, I just want to say it's like the the ultimate um, test of how good this show is is the fact that like I'm nearly a season in and you would think going back to this world I would miss dearly Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston and yet I don't no and that's not to denigrate like two of the greatest acting performances in the golden age of TV uh, it's not me saying that I, I don't like those performances as much in hindsight it's just that they have done such a good job with this show that I care about the characters that are already there I'm not missing the characters from the other show that they started in the and parallel for me is like when Dave Grohl starts to Foo Fighters, every question is, oh, is this song about Kurt? What would Kurt have thought of this? Are you going to play any Nirvana, Nirvana songs? And yeah. all of the, those questions. And Vince Gilligan had the same thing. It was, 
when's Aaron Paul showing up? When's Brian Cranston going to be in an episode? Blah, blah, blah. And that was all the question. And then gradually as the show went on. <laughs> Where is the money? <laughs> yeah, <we're>, exactly. <laughs> Why are we not getting to the money? Uh, and as the show went on, people stopped asking those questions. People stopped giving that much of a shit because the storytelling was so great. The same way Foo Fires brought out the colour and the shape and no one was asking uh, Dave Grohl about Kurt Cobain anymore. They were saying, you are a great musician and this is a fantastic album. Um, so it's a complete credit that he silenced all of that shit very early by just producing a fantastic show. And yes, I am very sorry, Mark, <laughs> because I haven't had the opportunity to talk about Vertical Soul with anyone because yeah. not been, many people I know have watched it. literal years for me to That's, have this conversation. Yeah, but it's yeah. fine. Like, you know, these things need to be discussed. Were, so it's all were good. You a, were you a Breaking Bad guy, Mark? No, no. There's, there's a level of stress and like anxiety slash show that I yes, have bypassed. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. so good. The greatest yeah. advice, because I nearly missed on that show. And the greatest advice is I ever got was somebody saying, just keep watching it until the scene in the parking lot with the axe. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the like that's pretty much to the moment when the show just like goes into another gear and then it keeps going up and up and up and up and then checks out at exactly the right time. Yeah, if it had been any longer than that, they would have really struggled to make it make sense. But they escalated it so well, and then it ended, right? It wasn't escalation, escalation. It's like, well, what do you do? It's like like a three and a half season build to the final episode, because there's no off time. The, uh, the The plane accident season was one of the smartest, like, long-running, unexplained bits until you got to the last episode I've ever seen across a, a, a series of TV as well. Yeah. The, sh- the foreshadowing and breaking, and Beckle Saul does that same foreshadowing of, you you saw Jimmy open up um, that, that, was it like a Cinnabon he works in? Yeah. Yeah, you saw him open it up at the start of that first series, and uh, yeah, you'll get a few more of those, Dave. Um, right, let's go to games and let's give Mark a chance to, to, to stretch what up? And, and talk about his games here. Uh, which one would you like me to talk about first? Which one piques your interest? I really uh, want to hear about Tunic because it looks yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, I want to hear about Tunic, but I kind of maybe want you to venture spleen a little bit first because I've seen some tweets about you playing Shredders this week. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll, I'll start with Shredders then. We'll, we'll leave Tunic, uh, the main event for the... For this segment this week so shredding is this new uh snowboarding game that has come out from uh geez what the hell was the name of this company uh, i had it here a second ago foam punch i don't know where they're from exactly it's uh, at hand but uh this is out on xbox it's on cloud and on pc for game pass uh, I'm obviously playing the Series S version, um, and it's also available for $30. And it is, for all intents and purposes, I think it is trying to be like the skate of snowboarding. Um, so straight off the bat, you know, like the likes of me and Jack have been waiting many, many years for that kind of true uh, like spiritual successor to SX, SSX3 to uh to kind of bring us back to those years in our teenage years where um all we could fucking play was s6-3 can confirm and this is definitely not that because it's not trying to be that 
I think that elements of this game in what it's trying to do do work, but I do think that part of the issue is I don't think that you know, if you've played Skate and Tony Hawk's, they're, they're serving two completely different masters by design. Uh, skate is a little bit more, you know, like in the spirit of real skateboarding. You're, you're trying to kind of find your lines, trying to, you, you're, not, you're not doing 400 tricks in a combo as you grind around like the outskirts of a fucking airport. You know, it's, it's a lot more kind of grounded in reality. And... That works for skate because they, they, you know, they really nailed the controls, and it really feel feels. Uh, it just feels good, like hitting the tricks and you know flicking the the analog sticks to pull off tricks. And part of the problem, there, there's two issues with shredders. One is that I don't think snowboarding as a genre or as a sport or whatever you want to say is particularly conducive to like the the skate style or like the sim style of sports game because well, i mean if you want it to be like ssx and hell no it isn't no no but all i mean is like at like the the kind of more arcade style type of game that ssx works i think is way more conducive to snowboarding than like what shredders or like us you know a skate if snowboarding would be because for a start, like, you know, snowboarding just in general is a little bit kind of more unwieldy. Um, and, you know, trying to kind of make lines is a little bit more difficult. And Shredders also suffers from the fact that the controls just aren't quite on point. Um, and so, like, the way it works is that you're coming up to, say, a ramp. And you hold down the, the right trigger. And then you've got one of two options, basically. Well, a couple of options there. You can just basically let go of the trigger as you jump off, as if you was, you know, like doing an, an ollie in a in a skateboarding game or in a Tony Hawk's game. And then um, you can hold down the left bumper or the right bumper and direction, and you'll do, you know, a, like a method or a Japan or a, any number of, of kind of holds. If you, as you're uh, holding down the right trigger coming up to a ramp, if you hold down the right stick to the left or to the right, uh, you kind of like get yourself ready to basically do a spin. And then as you jump off the ramp, you flick the, the analog stick in the other direction and then you'll start spinning. And the same kind of applies for if you want to do backflips back flips and front flips, but you have to hold down the left stick either forward or backwards. And it kind of would just be better if like all of that was like, function onto one stick and so you kind of like a lot of the time you get confused about like oh shit wait it's the left stick that i need to do for backflips backflips and front flips and one of the big issues and i don't know if it's that i just haven't kind of figured out what it wants me to do or it's just not possible is that if you certainly for the front flips and the back flips like when you go off the ramp there's no way to control like the momentum once you're once you're off the ramp basically so whatever you've done whatever amount of like torque you've put into the spin that you want to do you're pot committed to it once you've left the ramp and i can't remember like with ssx like how how much control you had when it comes to spinning once you're in the air but i feel like i never had as much of an issue with landing and that's with like a fucking, you know, bonkers game where you're doing 400 moves in one go. Where with this, I'm just trying to do like a simple front flip. And a lot of the time I'm over rotating and I, I just have no way to either try and, you know, bring myself back to like a vertical position where I can land the fucking thing. And so many times I'm landing on my head because 
the I just I can't get the balance of the torque right coming off the ramp. And so, like, again, I don't know if it's just there's something I'm missing or the game just has no way to control that once you're midair. And that is, like, the big thing that is really fucking frustrating me with this game so far. So, like, realistic gravity, basically. And it, you know, you're trying to kind of bite off more than you can chew, I guess. And it's sort of like trying to get used to it. Because SSX is a floaty game, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very floaty. Very, very floaty. Yeah. yeah. I, I, do you know, one thing I always think, Mark, and it's, it's something that you, that you brought up, and it was everything that was wrong with uh, Skatebird last year. Um, I don't care how these games look. I don't care, you know, what the soundtrack is too much. Any of those things. If you get the game feel right yep. on these games, I will play the shit out of it. Yeah. I don't that, care it, how it looks. That That is absolutely, like, fundamental. Certainly when you have a game like this you know like gameplay is everything and because it has to be said this game isn't particularly a looker and and you know the soundtrack there's nothing to write home about uh like my my biggest issue with this game more than anything else is the ui is just a fucking disaster uh like it looks like all of the templates that you'd have on a like a unity pre-purchase package or even just like on unity itself uh and they forgot to go in and actually like update all of that stuff it's it's ugly as hell just in terms of his UI and his UX, and I've seen some other people kind of bring this up as well. But it's not it's not terrible. Like it's you know it's certainly not Skatebird, uh, which is damning with faint praise. But once you get like enough of an idea of what the game wants you to do in terms of controls, and it's it's pretty good about like laying down one level at a time, like introducing you to each of the mechanics, you can kind of get a good a fairly decent feel for it um and one thing it does as well is that if you hold down x it will bring you back a couple of seconds to where you were before so if you're coming up to a ramp and you just get the line wrong or you go off the ramp and you know that you've over rotated under under rotated you can hold x and it will bring you back a few seconds but the problem with that is that you know say in like a uh, a forza you can hold down X and you can control how far you want to come back to make sure that you're like, right, this is the right spot I need to be in to make sure that I hit this corner correctly this time or avoid that fucking tree that for whatever reason is the one thing in this game I can't actually, you know, mow down. With this game, it takes you back a predetermined amount of time and it's always like way too short a period of time. So you go off the ramp and it brings you back and it's literally like as you're on the ramp, and which is just not enough time to kind of get yourself set up for whatever it is the trick that you wanted to do. So I'm hoping if they update this, they either A, just, you know, pull you back a couple more seconds or B, actually just like let you in real time see how far back you need to go to actually line up the, the, the like the line that you want to do because it's way more like crucial in this than in, in Forza. Uh, and it they seems need like such to a simple Prince thing. of Persia that shit then, basically. Pretty much, yeah. It, it basically, yeah. yeah, just kind of ripped straight out the, the Prince of Persia mechanic. So I, I can't say I'm, I'm hating my time with it, but it's definitely, you know, I've seen some people try to say that this is the skate of snowboarding. And, like, in principle, yeah, I kind of get what they mean, but in execution, it's nowhere near as... It's nowhere near as enjoyable uh, and nowhere near as like satisfying when you kind of hit the, the the lines and stuff that you would do in a skate so you know i i think you should check it out jack like again it's on game pass so it's you're not breaking hmm. the bank um but i think you will 
be very like similar to me in the issues that you have with this game like right off the bat and i'd be interested for you to even just spend like an hour of it and um and then kind of see and like some of the things it does do well is that one of the first times that you have like a kind of mountain uh like just a straight downhill uh event that you need to do the game does have a good sense of like velocity about it and speed which is definitely you know when you're playing like ssx one of the things about the game is like when you're just kind of bombing it down the mountain it feels incredibly satisfying this does have a varying degree of that where it works but one of the issues it has is that this area at least is so kind of like wide and expansive that you it's kind of hard to know like what the lines are that it wants you to take so a lot of the time you're just kind of going through like deep snow whereas with um even the the kind of the the trickier like ssx3 tracks there's at least <clears throat> excuse me there's at least still some kind of clear distinction about <coughs> uh different paths that you can take and clear paths to take so yeah I'm, I'm not it's i think it's a little bit lesser than a ham sandwich at the moment but i'm going to spend a little bit more time of it to see how like some of the more advanced courses are at least anyway mm. so yeah and if you have anything more to say jack why take a sip of water uh no i mean mm. I, that that sounds it sounds interesting and like you say i've always been there's always part of me that's kind of looking for a, an SSX patch in my life um, that I can stick on every few years and play. Um, but what ends up happening is I usually just go back to SSX3 and just have a great time with that or Tricky. Um, so really, they just need to hurry up and get those on game parts, really, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, when I get my uh, Odin Pro, I think the first thing I'll download is SSX3. But that's a story <laughs> for another day. The other <laughs> fully, thing. Fully transferred his sponsorship over now Damn to right. Odin Pro. Damn right. So the <laughs> other thing Pro sponsored athlete. that I've been playing is Tunic, which dropped uh the other day march 16th on i don't know if this was originally announced for game pass or it was like shadow announced it's just like hey this is on game pass by the way because i don't remember beforehand hearing about it uh coming to game pass but either way that was uh, a pleasant surprise uh it's a timed exclusive anyway for for xbox and this is a uh, an isometric 3d action adventure very much inspired by your by your your zeldas um if you played death store last year you're going to get a lot of the kind of same kind of feeling in terms of some of the mechanics and the controls um one thing i will say off the bat is that death store uh is a game that its tone is is more rooted in you know that, that kind of black humor um in a lot of its writing um whereas tunic it well for a start it doesn't have anything in terms of story or or cutscenes or any kind of scripted dialogue um it's very ethereal very dreamlike and all of its uh all of the the things there for you to to read basically um there's an instruction manual that you can collect the pages for that the the pages they look very much out of you know if you played any of the old zelda games for the nez or the snes um the, the nez one in particular comes to mind with the sort of like you know long form very detailed instruction manuals that explain a lot of the stuff that obviously they couldn't they didn't have the memory to do at the time on the nez cartridge 
it looks a lot like that and it has like beautiful diagrams with like the enemies and um has the maps uh and you know it kind of details like all of the items and what they do but a lot of the the details are done in this sort of hieroglyphic language that as far as i can see or certainly in the four or five hours i've been playing it there's no way i, I found that it like translates any of that so a number of parts of the instruction manual, uh, it does have some English, so it can give you at least like a vague idea of what certain items do. But a lot of it is sort of like left open for you to just sort of figure out what they do, or the instructions are done through uh, like just kind of visual diagrams or whatever. So parts of that are really charming, but parts of that are also really frustrating because I just don't know what certain fucking items do, and I'd really wish it would just tell me. Um, one of the other issues as well with the instruction manual is that uh, the way that, like the map works in the game is that like the map is tied to to the instruction manual and like you pick up certain parts of the map as you go through the game, but it doesn't like there's no like map button. Um, basically, if you tap the select button, it will take you to the instruction manual and it will go to wherever, wherever was the last page that you're on. But, you know, I just sometimes there might be something I'm trying to look in, like what the items to see if I can figure out what they do. Uh, and, you know, I'm up to about 20 odd pages in, in this manual and I'm sure there are more. So you have to flick through to get to like the map. And I'd kind of wish that just like there would be one section that would just like one button that would be designated for the map. Um, and on top of that as well. Sometimes it's actually kind of hard to see where you are on the map because uh, like your fox icon that it represents where you are is very, very small. Um, so like it would be nice if like when you went into the map, it just kind of started you like it either it kind of flashed the icon or it did something to kind of make it clearer to represent, hey, this is where you are. Because a lot of time you kind of got to squint for a bit to sort of see like where the fuck it is that you are on the map. And then you can push A to like zoom in closer. Um, so there's a couple of like little quality, quality of life features like that that I wish um, or I hope that they kind of look into. I say they, it's him. Like this game is made by one guy, which is like unbelievable because this game is, uh, it's, it's like visually, uh, like you can tell that it's a Unity game. Um, like there's a lot of the kind of like, cubism sort of style or an a low poly style of of the visuals um that is you know like very popular at the moment and, and even death's door kind of has a lot of that, that low poly style to it but um this is more it's more bright it's more colorful um again it has that sort of ethereal dreamlike nature to it that like is combined with the the audio like the the overworld music reminds me of sort of like latter-day radioheads like kind of um the last radiohead album like some of the just the dreamscape sort of sounds to it it's 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 a beautiful soundtrack so far and i've really been enjoying that um and then the one big thing i think to talk about with tunic is that now obviously you, you guys are going to be talking about elden ring in a bit so you know this isn't anything new for you at the moment from what you're experiencing but this game is pretty tough like i the first like proper boss in this game uh, i spent about two and a half hours between last night and today trying to beat and uh i died more times to this one boss than i did i think in the entirety of my playthrough with death's door and i think 
you know, being someone who has not spent much time with the the Souls esque games. I think it's quite similar in the combat. Like, it's very much like roll, avoid your attacks. You know, make sure that you time the rolls to avoid the attacks. Uh, get a couple of hits in. Get out of the way. Go again. Uh, one of the things, though, that Tunic does is you have a, a stamina meter. And the stamina is tied to your health in so much that if your stamina is, like, depleted, uh, you'll actually take more damage. So you're trying to get a couple of hits in, but then you're trying to get back, A, to not get hit, but also to try and get your stamina back to kind of full tilt, because certainly with like the first boss, you basically take two hits and you're you're wasted. Uh, and that was kind of like, you know, getting the, the timing, because the first boss only has like three attacks, but getting that timing down was like a real pain to kind of get the groove of so and and just kind of in the open world as well because this game as well like i think i think death store did i, I can't remember the top of my head but you know like a lot of games are doing it does the Soulsborne thing in that if you die you leave behind a version of yourself that has all of your coins and stuff and you have to go back and collect um and you know you can't auto save there are bonfire points which are like these shrines that you have to use and the the kind of space between these shrines uh they're like some of the areas like there's a fair amount that you have to do to get from one shrine to the other so you know like some of the challenges of this game have literally just been able to get to one shrine to the other uh, without dying and two things about that i want to say first of all is that they at least throw you a bone by like they'll give you shortcuts that you can use uh to kind of like cut parts out once you've like completed an area um but it'll do the thing that if you clear an area then like go back to the shrine it will reanimate or it'll bring back all of those enemies again so you have to do the area again yep. with all those enemies um <laughs> the bread and butter at the moment yeah yeah <laughs> the other thing that i wanted to say is that i feel like at this point and i know i've done it here for for tunic but i feel like at this point I think it's kind of redundant to say, hey, a game has the bonfire souls-like uh, kind of approach to death, because I feel like that's just sort of a thing that games are going to do now, because I feel like we're so far removed away from like the one-up system, which was, you know, inherently tied to the, the arcade coin-op era. And I do feel like just games are adopting this souls-like approach um for better or for worse but i i feel like we're just at the point now where it's like just this is just a thing that games do and i don't know we need to tie it as much to like saying hey this is a souls born approach i feel like just i don't know how we call this now um but yeah i i feel like just games are now just doing this kind of by the by that uh I don't think I want to just inherently just a, a, attach it to the souls like games even though i know they they're, did them first yeah, there were certainly the innovators and the, the kind of people who popularized it. And I got to say, it's one of the things I'm very glad that of the things to emulate from the Soulsborne games, that's one of the things that 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 people are trying to do more because I, I think, you know, Sean McGee is a better place to say this than I am. But a lot of the, the games that have tried to do the Soulsborne thing, like the whole just do a Soulsborne game without any, like, this is our Soulsborne game rather than come up with a unique twist on it. Uh, 
pay limitations to say the least so taking some of the because I I think we can all agree that the idea of like checkpointing and the the penalties for for dying to a boss in games was something that probably needed a bit of shaking up Um, and it's that kind of bonfire system while not um you know while sometimes it can be incredibly frustrating when when it happens to you it feels like it 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 rides the line between fair and punishing quite well when it's when it's implemented properly can i still say my favorite implementation of that system is is shovel knight because it makes it like an, an optional thing. You know, you can either you can either try and go through the level without hitting one of those checkpoints. Um, and I can't remember what the trade-off is. It's been so long since I played Shovel Knight, but I know there's a trade-off for if you actually use the checkpoints. But it basically, it, mm. instead of having a, an easy difficulty or a hard difficulty, it gives you, it makes it like an optional difficulty. And I still think that Shovel Knight's approach is a really elegant way of doing that. Um but yeah, Tunic, I, I really do like this game. Um, I will say that, yeah, like the, I, I've seen some people say that Tunic is like a change of pace from other things that they're playing in the moment. But I'm going to say if you've been playing Elden Ring and now I haven't played Elden Ring yet, I can't compare it. But like this is not like a, a gentle breeze of a game to go into. No. You know, it's it's pretty rough. And yeah. I, th- I think my one big issue that I have at the moment, and, and Death's Door was guilty of this, but it was nowhere near as egregious, is that, you know, with, like, isometric games, they'll do that thing uh, that I feel like, you know, Fez introduced, where you have hidden parts that are blocked off by the camera, and you just kind of have to, like, hug to the wall, and eventually you'll kind of come across a corridor that will go off into the, you know, some area or something. Um, but the, the only reason that it's blocked off is just because the camera obviously isn't facing the way where that area is. And Tunic does that, but it does it to a, an almost comical degree. And there'll be a lot of times where you'll like be trying to like walk the path that's, you know, gone under like a, an underpassage or something. But you're basically, you're just hugging to the wall to kind of figure out where it is. And I really wish that when it does those things which i wish it would do less i wish it would make it a lot clearer that like it would kind of show you the you remember in like mario sunshine where you go into the 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 sewer kind of parts and it would kind of clearly outline not the entire sewer that you're in but at least like the little part that you're in so you can see where the walls are and you can see where mario is i wish that it would do that as well just at least in like the local area that you're in so you can kind of see like when you need to turn right or when you need to turn left and they'll just kind of blindly let you have to fucking stumble across it until you've figured out like where to get from point A to point B um before we get into our our segment I do want to say I don't know about you Jack but just listening to Mark talking about his experience with Tunic I'm starting to lean 60-40 towards Mark will hate Elden Ring whereas I was (laughs) 50-50 In recent weeks, oh, I I think it's more closer to like fucking ninety ten. All right, let's let's not beat around. Yeah, the bush this. but I don't sometimes, know. I, sometimes I think there's part of the Robinson brain that if I if if we come down on the everybody's like Mark is definitely going to hate this. Your brain will convince you to like it out of spite. No, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. But, but here's the thing, right? <laughs> from from the very limited amount of of Elden Ring that I've watched. 
is the core principle of that game still that you know enemies attack you and you have to roll out of the way to avoid attacks? I would say Not so. Always. Or parry. Okay. Yeah, you can. Pa- you you or, get or good uh, old fashioned run away. If it's not a boss. Right. Well, yeah. Either way, I find that from the limited amount of that I haven't even played, but just watched Dave played, it's slow and it's sluggish and I just do not enjoy it. And I just don't want to do 100 hours of it, even though I tell I'm you what, 10 hours of it. It's, it's when you find something hardcore, it's not slow at all. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be annoyed by how fast it is sometimes. Yeah. You, um, so you watched me play Dark Souls 3. Yeah. Um, for about an hour or so. So what I will say again, I'm not Sean McGee and our Elden Ring segment will be showing up what novices me and Jack are. But I will say I find Elden Ring to be like I, I'm more mobile than I felt like I was in, in Dark Souls. Um, Now, I do think of the lot of them, from what everyone says, Bloodborne is the one that's the, the least cumbersome movement wise. Um, so like maybe we're seven years too late trying to get you into the genre because Bloodborne was 2015 that might have been your shot um, if that's if that's your big bugbear with it but uh, look alas um, I suppose let's let's just do it then um, Elden Ring Corner Jack uh, check in with you how are you doing buddy <laughs> I can't beat bosses <laughs> yeah I, I so like I'm I'm a few more hours in now this week. Now, um, I have been distracted by other things, sadly, so I haven't put in as much time as I thought. I'm hoping to get in a good bit over the weekend. Um, And I'm kind of... Now I'm a little bit more confident with the non-boss enemies um, that I think, like, I can strategize with groups of them and, and not get overwhelmed as easily as I was before, with the odd exception of being, like, caught my pants down randomly by a giant bear or whatever. Um, so I, 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 I've decided, rather than go into, like, proper dungeons or proper, you know, open world bosses or anything like that, I try a couple of little sojourns, uh, into ruins or into places and i'm i've gone into one of the catacombs which is like uh one of my first proper goes of like what the claustrophobia of doing these games at an indoor space uh is like because you have less ability to um you know when you're in the open world you can kind of like roll and roll and roll away and kind of space out the enemies pull them apart and kind of get them one by one but you don't Jump have that horse, privilege and run when by, yeah. slash run and away <laughs> when you're outside in Limgrave as well you have the you can a lot of the time not all the time but a lot of the time you can see enemies can't sneak up around a corner because it's big open fields yeah. whereas that is not the case going into a catacomb um, so I'm in the, I think it's the Stormfoot Catacombs at the moment. Uh, and there I found a boss that I think is like, it's definitely killing the shit out of me. And I haven't beaten it yet, but I think this is the boss that I feel like I have a chance currently at beating. And if I stick with it, I'll get the confidence of, you know, getting one. And it's not like one of the big hardcore it's not Margaret or anything like that this is a real small because this, I've looked up this kind of boss and it reoccurs I think five times in the game it's the Erd Tree Burial Watchdog oh is that the really fast big red dog thing 
Yeah, that's like a, yeah. a dog, cat, breathes fire, has a big sword. Yes, I, I, I tried to fight that once and it destroyed me and I have not been back. <laughs> I, I have got it. I've got it on one run. I got it about 75% of the way down in my first. I think I've only tried it maybe five times. Um, which I know, like, again, McGee is cackling right now. Probably fucking one shot at the cunt. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Not me. Yeah, no. I, like, this is one that I feel is like a manageable level of difficulty. Um Because, like, I'm not going taking on that fucking tree sentinel. Uh, I'm not going looking for Margaret, who I, I've seen, like, footage of other people fight. I'm like, no, not ready for that shit yet. Thank you very much. I need to, to stop me bouncing off this, I need to do it in very manageable, like, upswings in difficulty. Uh, and, yeah, going through the catacombs was fun because it, it, it's not the longest kind of dungeon-type thing in the world. Like, it's only a little flavour of it. There's a few rooms, there's a few items, there's a few different kinds of enemies, uh, a few traps, things like that. So it, it's actually a good sample uh, of what's on offer in the game. So I like that. Um, but other than that, like, I don't have, like, a huge amount to report because, again, the upside of the thing, you know, Garrett... Um, has talked at length about what he what he loves about it and what's helping you and I, Jack, is the ability to run away um, mm-hmm. and just go as far as the, the open world will take you when you feel like things are getting a bit too much. But consequently, uh, that keeps me away from making any progress sometimes because I'm just like, just milling about in the world, having a jolly old time. I don't know if I can complete the game is my main worry because I don't know if I'm good enough to beat any of these bosses and what I keep coming back to is like just go beat more crappy enemies get more runes add more power in in, you know various things like you know attack or dexterity or any of that stuff and then go and then maybe try and have another go or fight something else but I just can't seem to get round stuff. I think it it just feels like the bosses are just maybe like fifty percent meaner than mm. <laughs> than the random stuff that you occur in the wild. Like they all have attacks, and you kind of have to learn the very specific patterns that they attack in. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Well, they'll yeah. do like they'll do like three or four different attacks. Like I was fighting this. Um, it was like a big swat. Do you know what? This is another thing. I, I still don't know what's going on. So it's fine. It's fine. You fought a thing of nouns. I thought a thing of nouns and it was jumping up and landing. Okay, I, I need to learn that. Then it was doing like two, three forward slashes. I was like, okay, right. I know what happens when there's that. And then it hadn't done this up to this point, but then it just did a big spinny round slash. They hadn't done at any stage, and I was trying to attack it from behind, and it totally wiped me out. And I was like, oh, Christ, now I have to learn that. So, like, I feel like you have to... It's almost like you have to not preempt what a boss is going to do, but you need to know exactly where to be in a fight when a boss does a certain animation or launches a certain attack. It it really is like a puzzle that you have to learn. And the worst part is, it's not a puzzle that you have to learn... Um, passively, that once you figure out the key, you still have to then go and fucking do it. And going and fucking and doing it requires a lot of vigilance and a lot of concentration. And I'm like, I think I can, I think at at some point my attacks will do more 
Um, I'm not struggling with any overworld enemies as much anymore as well. Like you said, yeah. Dave, I'm, I've also kind of reached that point. But I'm like, the harder bosses, like, was it like Starscream or, Star, or Star, Soulstorm or something? Rodan? Starscream is a, a Decepticon, I think. You know, Zinedine Rodan, whatever the fuck this thing is, <laughs> right? I see it and it's like shooting these purple bolts and just looks evil. And I'm like, how am I ever going to beat that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't have the self-confidence. This game, it, it has made me feel kind of what I already knew, which is that my video game ability is limited to stuff like this. And I think, I think I could do it. I think I will take a lot more and maybe sort of in like a few weeks to a month, I won't feel like this anymore. Yeah. I will figure out how to, how to do all of this stuff. Um, but right now the self-consciousness <laughs> is high. Um, I, for I, me. what I would say, like, again, as somebody who hasn't like made it at any progress either, uh, I would cancel patience above all else, because I think, again, something we've talked about that's tough going from not being a Soulsborne guy into playing this game is that you, you learn, uh, through the process of dying, which you are conditioned to believe is a fail state from other games because it is a failure. Um, so that can be tough for the confidence. And again, I, I think one of the benefits for me for not getting too down on the, oh, fuck, this attack now as well, is the Cuphead experience, where I'm used to bosses that change two to three times per fight have new attacks every time they do change and sometimes also change their attacks based on what range you're at. You know what I mean? They'll have a specific set of mm. attacks they, they'll do when you're trying to keep distance. They'll do a, a specific set of attacks when you're up close. Um, so I think, like, not that I'm not frustrated by it, Jack, don't get me wrong, but I, I'm kind of not as... I don't know. It hasn't. That isn't what's beaten me down as much. What is <laughs> that fire dog, like, for instance? Sorry, sorry. I was say, what is the game like in terms of the the time between, say, dying and then being right back there? To, oh, it's to really the, quick. Yeah, okay. it's, yeah, it's insanely quick, especially compared to like some of the other games that you know I, I've I've dabbled with in the, in the series or in the 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 genre, the oeuvre, uh, the from software oeuvre. Um, what I will say my two problems at the moment are again it's the classic thing of somebody who's not used to playing these games I get greedy and I go for one strike too many and that's when I get caught yeah. and uh, like and it is literally one strike too many and you're fucked can I can yeah. I just say can I just jump in there because this is something I yeah. forgot to mention with Tunic and I'm wondering if it's a similar thing as well so a problem that Tunic seems to have is that uh, your guy has like a kind of three hit combo and if you get like if you basically start that combo there's no way to kind of cancel it yeah. and so yeah. if i'm going between like the second and third hit and i've realized that i fucked this i've done one too many i'm basically locked yep. into that animation i can't do yep. anything and i'm basically so, gonna get wiped out yeah so this is something that um funny enough i was watching this week h bomber guy has a like a really long video on why he loves bloodborne so much and one of the things he, he says about it is that it is such a contrast to the hack and slash game. He particularly mentions Devil May Cry, where it's like Devil May Cry, you could be right in the middle of an attack animation and you can cancel it yeah. and do something else. React it, it like it's a reactive game, whereas you need to be like surgically precise because, as you say, as soon as you do the attack 
attack prompt you are committing to the entire animation you know what I mean he like he talks about you hit square with Dante and Dante's immediately swung the sword but in like a quarter of a second yep. whereas you got your character in a Soulsborne game like when you hit square you're committing to the reeling back with the melee weapon and then lurching forward yeah, so I, you I better be I, damn sure I think I said it like last week or the week before that um, there's a lot I feel that the Souls games take from the original Castlevania. Like, if you go back and play the original Castlevania, when you hit your whip, there's like a half a second delay. And obviously, you know, yeah. this is just a 2D game from the, like the late 80s. But there's no... It's not a hack and slash. Like, even though it's a side-scrolling kind of beat-em-up, mm. basically, it's so, like, methodical. And you have to plan out your hits... Yeah. Um, that you know like and I, I remember not really enjoying Castlevania because of that and mm. they would you know radically change the Castlevania games over the series to where they became yeah. a little bit more grindy like that and yeah for me at least you know like I absolutely fucking love the likes of A Devil May Cry and those hack and slash yeah. games and it's the thing that I've been struggling with Sifu that I was saying last week is that that game even though it has a little bit of a kind of like uh, hack and slash beat him up sort of style to it it's absolutely not it's probably more mm. in line with like an Elden Ring where you have to be very like thorough and methodical and planning out mm. those attacks and my brain yeah. is just not <laughs> wired for those types of games yeah and it's the same with parries and it's the same with rolls like I think I'd be do like even if something like if my roll was 20% faster I probably would have beaten that boss by now you know what I mean? Um, Is there any way to upgrade like stuff like that? You are asking the wrong person, right. Mark. I know. I know. There's like you can like you can upgrade pretty much any stat, including like your stamina, your endurance, things like that, and you can get different gears that have like lower weights to them and stuff like that and you know as in most RPGs I'm sure there's going to be like some sort of marginal benefit to you know you pick a a set of gear that ha- may have lower defense stats but the the gain from that is that you move quicker or you're less encumbered um so yeah, highly probable, but I'm not necessarily somebody who's uh, so confident at this stage I'm going to ditch my armor and run in in the nip just to be able to dodge quicker. Um, you know when you see people like on YouTube or whatever who are completely nude in a pair of pants with like a giant mace that's like bigger yeah, the, the, than my the life? Re- the, the wretch, they're called in this that class, aren't they? Yeah, right. I I, I can't remember. I, I, I just remember seeing Samurai and I'm like, ooh, Samurai. I like Samurai. Yeah. Um, and that's why I picked it. Uh, you just, uh, how, I feel like one hit and they would take it and they would die. And yet these mm. people are like absolutely smashing it. I don't yeah. understand how they do it. Yeah, it can be discouraging to see that and stuff. Like I saw one guy who was with the Samurai class who just basically he took on one of the the tough bosses in the game and just it was a squash match this dude fucked that boss up big time but uh yeah no i this is going to be the i will be able to say by the end of this year that i gave this a proper go and didn't run away from it uh i'm not going to do like i did with dark souls 3 and just beat one boss say that's it done goodbye uh, I'm going to keep going until I absolutely know for a fact that I cannot persist anymore. And more crucially, I'm going to make sure that if one of us is going to give up, Jack, it's not going to be me. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think, 
I might, I'm, I don't know. I might give up <laughs> at some point. Not, not anytime soon. Because um, yeah. I really, I, I can see how good the game is, and yeah. like, I want to, I do want to, I do want to get good at it. I do actually want to. Um, I just, I, at the moment, I'm just not. <laughs> the game doesn't want you to, though. <laughs> no, I think the game does, but I think it's just conditioning, isn't it? Really. Yeah. It's it's a matter of like reprogramming the way you think about because again another thing about the hack and slash uh, contrast is that the way the the bosses look for you the way your loadout looks and things like that in your brain that's kind of like the presentation sometimes of a hack and slash and that's how you want to attack it and that is absolutely not the way you're supposed to be attacking it and you will suffer and suffer quickly. Um, I so, like turn-based games as well. Like mm. I, I like being able to plan out what I'm going to do, think about it, have you know a plan. You, if you try and have a plan, sometimes on this game, it's like, oh, you think you think you can have a plan? You don't have a plan. That's what I mean. Every time, I feel like every time I, I'm in a boss fight, they find another move that I didn't know that they had as a way to kill me. Uh, it's just too many. There's 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 like too many attack patterns that I just don't understand. Or like halfway through, you get like half of a boss down. And then it will just decide that, oh, uh, no, actually, I'm I'm like 10 times more hardcore now. And you're like, oh, come on, man, this ain't fair. This wasn't even my final form. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, there's apparently, like you said, that wolf dog thing comes back five times. I couldn't even yeah. be in the it, first time. So it, doesn't, it, I mean, room, I mean, it doesn't come back in the same area five times. It's like there's five oh. different catacombs where uh, one of them is the guardian of the thing at the end of it. Oh, Jesus. I couldn't even be it. Like, yeah. it, it was across the room, Dave. Yeah. And now, then they're you they're think- also not listed on the list of mandatory bosses for the game. Right. Okay, but it was across the room. Here's what I'm trying to say. Across yeah. the room. And then all of a sudden, it's next to you. How does it do that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. It, the, thing, uh, the thing I keep in particular, I know... That probably what I should be doing. It does this attack where it levitates above your head and then slams down with the sword out. And I, I just need to time my jump and my roll properly. And I just haven't. There's something about that, that the timing is a little bit awkward on it. It's never when I think it's going to be. Um, Yeah, I feel like by I'm hoping by the next time we record, I can say that I've at least beaten that thing. And I've committed now because I'm kind of in the loop of I need to go back into where the boss is to get my, uh, get my, um, what are they called? Runes back. <laughs> I don't have too many. Yeah. Like, it's not so much that I couldn't cut and run, but I just don't want to. Yeah. Uh, can, can I, I just, um, can, can I say, oh. like, um, this slightly on topic and off topic but i have to say i'm way more like morbidly curious about stranger of paradise at the moment than i am elden ring like, i don't know if you saw the uh the reviews for that game but the scores were all over the fucking place for that thing yeah broad spectrum yeah well, I, I, I really thought that'd be a it. game that would intrigue you at all mark though is having not interacted that positively with 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 them in the past um what uh, what is in like the souls games or final fantasy games final fantasy games. hey i i uh, love six and seven and i liked the amount of nine that i played before i, <laughs> I jumped off it <laughs> i like two <laughs> I mean, they are the good, <laughs> you know, they are yeah. the really good ones. No, I, I, it, it just, it sounds like 
dumb enough of an of, of a game in a lot of the ways it's been executed that I'm kind of just yeah morbidly curious more than anything. Um, mm. uh, but again, I, I will get to Elden Ring. Honestly, I say I the the thing that will defeat me more than anything else is just like the UI and like the amount of like shit that you can do uh in terms of just you know you pick like seven or eight things up and you have no idea what they do and what they bolt onto and yeah. like i i have no time and patience for that and i think that's going to be the biggest thing that i have to overcome mm. more than the mechanics so, sometimes the thing you pick up is a sequel to another thing that you have so it'll be like the smith stones which you use to upgrade your weapon there'll be a smith stone but then there'll be a smith stone too and then there'll be a Smithstone 3. And I'm like, I'm wondering how many numbers does that go up? Like, you know, am I getting a Smithstone 16 at some point? Yeah. You, you know why I like Mega Man? You beat a boss, <laughs> you pick up one item, and that's it. <laughs> Do you know why I like Pokemon? <laughs> There's no dogs that appear next to me trying to murder me. Uh, they they mean, all look you, like Yamper, and they're my friends. If you play Legends, <laughs> you might uh, come across uh, Yamper that want to fuck... Well, more. not Yamper. What's the... Uh, What's the fucking dog in that you come across all the time? The electric one. Oh, Shinx. Yeah, Shinx. They'll fuck yeah, you up. Yeah, but even that's cute. True. <laughs> it's anyway, not like we, we're coming. We're going off the rails here. Talk to me yeah. about a game I might be interested in, Dave. Okay, so I have played uh, two games that you might be interested in, and I feel like you have played before, Mark, because I know you have. <laughs> um, the first of these I'm going to mention very briefly because I literally only got to, to mess around uh, just before we went to air. I was playing some Mario Kart 8 Deluxe today. Nice. Uh, and I played both of the new Cups. Uh, so is that like do you have the the expanded online switch yeah that's what I did okay, I said right. I, I said I'd do it for the year because like yeah you can buy it separately but at a certain point it's like fuck like probably the best value for one option here is just getting the gimmick sure. uh, for the year you know um, so we've got the the lucky cat cup and the golden dash cup uh, the lucky cat cup is comprised of the Tokyo blur course from Mario Kart Tour Shroom Ridge from the DS uh, Sky Garden from the GBA and the Ninja Hideaway um, which is uh, I, is that new? I, I think it's new, yeah. yeah I don't recognise it. It doesn't, it doesn't have a what yeah. it's from at the end. Then it so must the be new then. The only one I yeah. recognise from that is the Sky Garden from the GBA one. So then there's on the other one, the Golden Dash Cup, which I think is the one I, I enjoyed more. It has Paris Promenade from Tour, which is super weird, like going around a city that actually exists. Yeah. Uh, in Mario Kart is pretty bizarre, but it's good. It, like, it's 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 fun. There's like right at the start, you go around the Lark de Triumph and there's like two cardboard cutouts of piranha plants in the in the archway that you can run over. As, as a there are in France too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, the, By the way... You can actually go around the Arc de Triomphe. Have you seen the traffic situation there? How are you even moving? Yeah, I know, right? They've somehow managed to shut it down for Mario Kart. Um, Toad Circuit from the 3DS is there. Uh, the Coconut Mall from the Wii. And, of course, the main reason I wanted to play this cup, Choco Mountain oh, from yeah. the N64. Damn oh, right. yeah. Um, look, I have nothing... 
you know revolutionary to say about it it's more mario kart 8 and that's never a bad thing um all these courses get the full mka treatment they look fucking gorgeous the uh the new recordings of the the music or the remixes of the old music uh in them are fantastic particularly obviously choco mountain is the only one i would remember the tune from of all of those um and that was just like it just warmed the heart to be back there um so it gives me that that full hit of nostalgia haven't tried it on the, the higher ccs yet but there's a couple of pretty like i imagine on the 200 ccs are incredibly challenging because there's a lot of uh, in the the paris one there's a lot of really kind of sharp turning involved um so yeah that that that's a lot of fun and hey look <laughs> fucking two more cups and just so the way they have it on the menu now is you've got your original whatever it is 10 12 cups that were from the the mk8 deluxe and then you like you just hit up on the joystick and then it just you that's where the full enormity of how many tracks they're adding to this fucking thing is there because you've got the two new cups that are available and then like the placeholder tiles for all the other ones that are coming and it's right, another right. full screen of cups you know what <laughs> i mean they have they, it's just over it's the, just the courses they're adding right they're not adding anything yeah, else yeah over yeah. the course of this next 18 months they are doubling the size of this game in terms of tracks which is fucking wild um now again you know you say this is all they're adding like may i i feel like maybe they're going to do a thing where there'll be more different carts it, that feels like a thing they can do without much hassle where it's like oh here's a new bike here's a new thing you know what i mean to drive it or a new type of wheels or a new type of parachute or something like that but yeah there's I mean, not i'm like, trying to think like what what other characters from the mario universe how can they try and like bolt onto this game that they yeah, haven't so they already were done even, they were even fucking running out of it on Mario Kart like in the, the original expansion because they added Link yeah I, I realised that like, yeah. yeah so yeah you're, you're kind of running out and you don't really need any more I mean you know obviously I mean? Like obviously they need to add Helix yeah. from ARMS obviously oh Snorlax. my god give Snor- me a Snorlax <laughs> As, oh big Snorlax tiny motorbike oh that's my something god. I want to see yeah exactly yeah um, also the title of my autobiography as well. <laughs> Obviously, but what they would do if they were to do this is they would take the Smash approach and give me like fucking 25 Fire Emblem and Zenith Blade <laughs> <Mark>. Chronicles characters. <laughs> but then at least you'd have multiple people called Roy, which definitely wouldn't create no any confusion at all. Well, I'm from Xenoblade and I'm not sure why I talk like this. <laughs> as we know, all Xenoblade characters are chimney sweeps. Skyler Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, but yeah like the one type of content you would have been apart from you know our usual thing of saying just add good battle mode shit the the thing you would want them to add is more tracks more cups and, and that's what they're doing so hell yeah to that I mean I'm so over the idea like even if they did have good like battle mode I'm so over that as a thing now uh, yeah. I really just don't care anymore just it's, it's like the, you know it's it's like the release a new F-Zero game we just know it's not gonna happen so we've given up no it's not even that it's just even if they were I probably just couldn't be bothered to play the fucking thing anyway so mm. yeah yeah Um, the other thing I've been playing is a little game called Paradise Killer which some called the game of the year a couple of years ago uh, some very handsome gentlemen would have called it that Um, uh, it came out this week on 
everything else it's on game pass it's on ps5 and ps4 uh and it's been updated to add some new content on the pre-existing versions and on steam and switch um i i don't know because i haven't gotten more than about like half an hour into it again so i don't know what exactly the new content that has been added is but holy hell did i miss being in paradise my friends um it's great this time to like because i know how the mystery pans out that i can kind of like take my time mill around the world a bit more just enjoy the vibes um it looks as you would expect much shinier and prettier on ps5 than it did in its original run on switch um but it's still got that feel it's still got that vibe um it's still got all those wacky characters we love so much uh, it's still paradise killer at the end of the day and the other thing that came out with it this week uh, that is available on all your uh music uh apps is the b-sides album uh of like tracks that didn't make the game and remixes or instrumentals of tracks that did make the game um from epoch and that absolutely slaps um so yeah it's just been a great week you know you were saying mark that tunic isn't a great antidote uh, or a great companion game to have if you're playing elden ring because it's more of the same i'll tell you what if you want to change a pace from elden ring paradise killer is where it's at um yeah I, as well, I, I, I will say as well it's a uh, obviously it's on game pass but even if you don't have Game Pass if you're buying it new for the first time. It's only 15 euro. Yeah, so I mean, it was never good. more than like 20 quid, I think, the original. I think it was anyway. 20 quid when yeah. it came out, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to give this um, another spin because I want to see like all of the stuff they've added on. I haven't had a chance to listen to the, the B-Track stuff yet, but like, there's no fucking way that this isn't going to get played again with it being on, yeah. on Game Pass. So yeah. and yeah. I, I'm getting a platinum. Yes. That's, that's one of the reasons I was like I could download it on Game Pass but I was like this has trophy support on PS5 and it has a platinum tell trophy tell me the I was like, fucking sky is blue Dave Ryan oh mate this is going to be for my first platinum and since Spider-Man uh, I think this is going to be my first platinum oh actually no um uh, Astrobot. What I'd be curious about though is like because I know this update is uh, coming to the the Steam and Switch versions as well. I'd be curious about yeah. how it loads on all of the story stuff, like because you haven't come across anything like new yet, right? No, so nothing. I'm, I don't. I don't. I I didn't even look up what is new because yeah, I didn't like, want no, any. Like, so I'm wondering if this will be like a case of whether it's a, a new game plus is where you'll get all of this or just there's just another story that takes place after the um, the, the trial. Or another like side case, like what happened to K.HX. Yeah, I, I guess. Which is I great. So. Which, is, which is one of those like that little side case. I'll be able to solve that in about five minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that's actually the thing. I'm as interested in as like obviously what the the content is it's just where they fit that in so it kind of naturally like fits you know the yeah, overarching it's, story it's Paradise Killer colon the Doom Jazz Chronicles <laughs> oh. I'll tell you what if all they do is literally put in something that's very blatantly yes we're doing Paradise Killer 2 that's enough for me <laughs> I, t- I tell you what if uh, if Telltale Games hadn't kind of completely shit the bed in the last five years I, there is a crossover there that I would have been on fully on board for. Um, mm. But hey, we could only dream. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, yeah, so that's that's everything I've been playing. Uh, shall we move into the news, gentlemen? Ah, it's not been like the busiest week, but there's still a few things that we can talk about. No, um, talk to me, Mark, for a start about. I, I feel like the next two stories will be what we will call the the Matt Niner portion of the show. <laughs> uh, Tell me what's been going on with Gran Turismo 7, because I have not been in the loop about it. So Gran Turismo 7 uh, basically was offline for about 24 hours. Uh, So they had a scheduled maintenance. um, uh, A note from the developer, uh, Polyphony, blames an issue found with the game's 107, 1.07 update, uh, but they did not provide more detail. Uh, there was no word on when the game, which requires an online connection, would become playable again. And I thought this story was relevant just to kind of talk about the 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 ongoing issues that can occur with more and more games being depended on being online to um, to, to be able to play, basically. Mm. Uh, a data miner the patch posted to Reddit has suggested that car prices have been altered, something which was uh, already fueling fan frustration at the game's eye-opening monetization system. But it's important to stress that these have not gone live yet um so that was like the first post and then later on the the patch went live uh, the game was online and it basically it nerfed the credit payout of several events that become favorite grinding spots for players it's a move that's caused considerable consternation among the gran turismo community and understandably so given the ability to buy in-game currency in the playstation store um so i think this is kind of disgusting that you know i'm sure like over the first week or two of gran turismo going live that i would imagine that in the team they've got you know like data scientists and and other people doing the the crunching seeing like you know where the tracks that were being grinded the most dropping and nerfing those uh to kind of incentivize more in-game spending which is pretty fucking abhorrent for a 70 quid game you know i know we was talking last week about chocobo gp um but i think it's even even more abhorrent that gran turismo would be falling foul of this so yeah like the big two things here is this and again the fact that uh when we live in a world where you know even if you have a physical copy of a game uh if it requires to be online you know uh if it goes offline what the fuck do you do uh, and and this mm. is obviously the kind of thing that can happen. So, yeah, I don't know if you boys had anything on this. That uh, you have you interested? Like, I don't know if it, either you are going to get Gran Turismo. Um, I feel like Jack no. of the three of us. I think had at least some vested interest in GC back in the day. Yeah, I, I like the first couple of Gran Turismo games. Uh, this is ugly though. This story, like the idea that you've got an area of your game that people can can grind to. You know collect currency and actually you know that's the that's the thing isn't it that they always say is oh you know you have to earn <laughs> you have to earn your currency in these games or oh, you could buy it you, you know you could spend money but you have to earn it you know it gives the players a sense of achievement or whatever mm. like this 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 story just proves that that attitude from publishers is bullshit because people had found a way of earning currency and then they made it harder to do so um, because they want all of the money and yeah, I think if I was a player in the community right now, I would be so turned off that I'd want to stop playing it um, as a result of that. But, mm. you know, who knows Who knows whether or not the, there'll be enough of an overwhelming pressure towards, um, towards the company that they might kind of 
uh, not unnerf or denerf or add back in whatever the bonuses that you were getting for those races are at some point. Like, for instance, I know communities speaking out against publishers every now and then will have some sort of success. But yeah, that that kind of sucks. As for interest in the overall game, I would play this, but I don't want to pay full price for it. Um so I might have to wait a while. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I'd love to to play this for a bit. I don't know if if it, I'd settle with it for too long um, because of the the kind of more, um, like, simulation style of the driving. But uh, around that kind of 40, 45 quid price, I think I'd like to jump in and at least just kind of play it for a bit because, you know, the what I have seen of this game in, in video shots and screenshots, like, it looks unfucking believable there are times when I'm genuinely like I cannot tell if this is uh, like not so much the cars but just the backdrops you know sometimes it is hard to tell like what actually is real at this point um so i really just even if i spend a couple of hours just to just to get a look at that game uh, i really do want to do that but yeah like i'm not sure what this game is going to look like in a couple of months time um how how different this game is going to be as they uh, obviously do the number crunching to make the game that much more grindy uh which mm. i think is quite disgusting do you think that maybe they've done this um with a kind of view to eventually putting it on their game pass equivalent when it launches i mean you would think that uh if that was a thing they wanted to do, maybe they would have kind of held off until, well, I, I guess that was never going to happen at this point. Um, I don't know. It's, I guess it's a good question, uh, though that obviously has me just as concerned that even if something like that is the case, that is this going to be the thing that happens where Sony, for more of their like first party or in-house stuff, you know, if these games we know are going to come along and they're going to be on whatever their game pass equivalent is that they you know compensate by bolting on more microtransactions which like uh, while there are certain um concerns that can be can be said about like the the monopolization or whatever about like the the xbox game pass you know, you look at something like uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator, and while well, that thing was egregious in terms of its fucking install size, you know, you wasn't like going in and just being bombarded with microtransactions. I think that game might have them. I'm not sure actually, but it certainly didn't feel as egregious as to what like is happening here with GT7 at the moment. Hmm. I yeah, I have no real interest in picking it up at any stage like maybe i'd give it a go if it shows up yeah on this game pass equivalent and i do get the game pass equivalent it's not the thing that's making me want to get that um for me i'm such a like apart from mario cars obviously like in terms of actual racing actual cars i very rarely have that grow to do that and for the last couple of years forza has been scratching that itch for me you know, um, so I can't see myself being too tempted anytime soon, or if at all, to, to play Gran Turismo 7. Um, the only fond memory I have of Gran Turismo 7, I can't remember if I said this years ago on the show, was how I came to be the owner of Gran Turismo 3. Um, back in the days of, of video rental, uh, I rented a copy of the Vinnie Jones classic Mean Machine, which I know, Jack, you're definitely <laughs> a huge fan of. Um, Banger. 
I, I rented that and when I took home the, the DVD case from ExtraVision, I opened it and I took my Mean Machine disc out and there was the Gran Turismo 3 disc behind it. And I just quietly never returned the Gran Turismo 3 disc to ExtraVision. I just, that was my copy of Gran Turismo 3 then that I got for free. And I even remember getting like a marker. Gran and, Turismo free, am I right? Yeah. And I remember doing a very dodgy job of draw, <laughs> of drawing up... Uh, his face. Of drawing up... Uh, his face, he's just made that terrible joke. <laughs> he's so unhappy. <laughs> Sorry. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I I tried I just tried to breeze by it, <laughs> but uh, yeah I um yeah I tried to d- draw up very dodgy box art because I'm somebody who likes having my my physical games stored you know nicely on a shelf and the fact that I had a disc that didn't have a box or a cover art really fucked me off. Um, and look, maybe I'm what killed the vi- the video rental business. Who's to say? Um, it was you. Yeah. There's a great documentary about Blockbuster on Netflix that I'd recommend people watch if, if you want to understand the scale of it. Next news story um, in the, the Matt Niner section is Triangle Strategy uh, has sold 800,000 globally in two weeks, um, which is like it doesn't sound, you know, when you compare it to the fact that Elden Ring in the, the two or three weeks has been on sale sold 12 million it sounds like it's very little but it's actually not bad at all when you compare it it's it's pretty much on pace with Octopath Traveler which sold a million after three weeks um, Bravely Default took seven to eight months Bravely Default 2 took seven to eight months to get to 950k yeah so, I feel like there was no fucking publicity around that game though you know yeah yeah, but it it does like again because we're talking about as Eurogamer points out in the article, this is a niche within a niche, um, oh, yeah, this definitely. kind of stuff, and like even something that was well promoted, like Fire Emblem Three Houses, only sold three million in its first year by comparison. So like it's it's pretty good to be at a third of that in nearly at a third of that in less than a month. Um, yeah, and it gives uh, it gives us hope that you know they're and it does seem like they're invested in doing more with this engine and this art style, the HD two D that they call it. Yeah, and, and I think yeah. that's the thing that for a lot of people, um, you know, I I know a lot of people like, hey, do some of the older Final Fantasy games in this style, and you know, we've got mm-hmm. stuff like that live alive thing, which is still one of the, yeah. the weirder things that. Nintendo announced this year uh, but you know it definitely even for me who I'm not as invested in in Octopath or like Triangle Strategy um, if like something comes along that uses this style uh, I you know I, I think that's a win-win and I definitely would be interested uh, live update actually as we've been recording this Matt Niner beat Triangle Strategy and gave it 7.5 out of 10 Jesus Christ <laughs> there you go um so that's that. Uh, you wouldn't think up, that boy has two kids, by the way, you know? I know, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm an absolute mess of completing games by comparison to the man. Um, Mark, now I know you. Huge, huge fan of Ubisoft open world games that you are. And you, you thought to yourself, the only problem I can find with Ubisoft open world games is they're not big enough. I know, right? Well, that's just what I've been needing. 
Well, I think I think if you thought that you didn't play Far Cry Six, because <laughs> my fucking god, was that game huge! I am here to allay such concerns, Mark, because a team uh, within Ubisoft at Stockholm are developing a project called Ubisoft Scalar, which is going to be a cloud-based computing solution to make even bigger worlds. Uh, Mark, I I know you're hyped out of your boots right now so I'm just going to cut to you for your immediate reaction if you can hold back the tears of joy I I would be so fascinated to see how like if if this thing just kind of like completely shits the bed and breaks like how violent when? is the texture popping <laughs> going to be with this thing um, yeah. I, not even just texture popping just world popping you know yeah because uh, <laughs> I know you was mentioning last week with Elden Ring is pretty oh, fucking yeah. spectacular uh, yeah. But I feel like this could take it to a whole nother level. Mm. You know what? Far Cry 6 didn't have that issue at all. It really didn't. Like, that game looked incredible from from the moment I first played it. So mm. I think they don't normally have that issue within their games. But, yeah. My, my main problem is Ubi games, open world, they don't need to be bigger because they're already huge and not every corner of the map is filled with it's filled with something, but yeah. it's filled with interesting things. Yeah, I would say the primary concern with a lot of those open worlds is uh, not more map, but more interesting things is what the focus should be in development. Yeah. And not just like the same six tasks just in a different area. Um, but who am more I to say? Defying. Yeah, I, I, I think the thing with this is certainly, yeah, like you mentioned there about just like the not the size of the map, but what you have in there. And I do think that um, one of the, like, kind of more prominent things that you think about with, like, modern games and, like, things that they try to show off from a technical aspect is just, like, okay, how many characters, how many, like, uh, when we're trying to populate a world, how many people can we put in that world? And Mm. I'd have to imagine that something like that, if you've got, you know, non-interactive characters that are just there just to kind of fill out the world, like you could probably using use this to um, to really kind of bring that to life. And actually something I was thinking, um, there was there was an article uh, like last week, I want to say about GT7 and how as beautiful as that game is, all of the, the, the crowds and the audiences are all like out of like ps2 models like they're fucking hideous to look at and obviously you know it makes sense like you're not going to render like a 4k asset for something that's in the in the audience but even saying like that using this system is a way where you can i would you know in theory you can populate those the crowd and the audiences and if you think you know even something like um the the smackdown games have been notorious for like you've got these high high rendered uh characters that are animated and everything but like you go into the crowd and they just look like trash because you're not going to invest as as much of the memory into those into those npcs something like this could be used for that sort of thing in theory so i think there's there's absolutely uh, a space for this kind of thing but i'm just yeah if ubisoft use it for the purpose of just making their worlds that much fucking bigger then it's uh it's it's a moo point <laughs> it's like a cow's opinion it doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter really. right i think um yeah so we're gonna go from 100 collectibles to 150 collectibles in the next ubisoft game Ooh. <laughs> um let's wrap up with a mario kart 8 story and that is uh 
data miners trying to have a, a wee bit of a peek as to what's coming up. So uh, today, as we're recording this, as we were talking about in the playing section, was the launch of the first two cups on the booster course pass. Uh, but fans already think they've seen what's coming next. Uh, a data mined image said to be from the game has set fans' tongues wagging as it appears to show thumbnails from future booster course pass editions. So we have a tweet here uh, from Mr. Nintendo saying uh, he thinks he could see Sydney Sprint from Tour, uh, LA Laps from Tour, Mario Circuit from the SNES, Koopa Cape from the Wii. Um, yeah, just there's just a bunch of tweets here that are kind of like trying to sneak forward. But I don't know, like it's one of those things where it's always interesting to see what people can get from uh, data mining shit like this. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, Do you know what? I, I'm happy just to not personally look too much into this and just be nicely surprised every time, you know, a couple of cups come. I was like, hey, there's a track I know. Or hey, there's a track I don't know. This will be new for me. Yeah, agreed. I don't need to know. Um, I, I, it's I'd not like it's big spoilers either, necessarily, you know? Yeah, especially if the majority of them are previous tracks. See, all you've got to do is there's so many effing tracks in Mario Kart 8. You've just got to look at the ones that aren't in the game and you could probably stake a tenner on one of them coming up at some point in the future, right? Yeah, I mean, again, like out of the eight that dropped today, only one isn't a remix, do you know what I mean? Like, so you'll be, you'll, you could take a pretty good stab, even not as a, a data miner, to figure it out what's coming. I, for yeah, me, exactly. I, I think the thing that's interesting is there seems to be a lot of emphasis on the uh, some of the tracks from the, the mobile game. And I'm just wondering if that's uh, like a, they were the easiest to translate from or to port from that yeah. version to this because, you know, they're kind of already rendered in a way that maybe they can just kind of fit them in a lot easier than obviously having to do a complete recreation of a, like a SNES or an N64 track. Yeah, I, I yeah, I kind of hope that maybe part of it as well is a case of like acknowledging that fuck all people uh, who are like hardcore console Mario Kart people would have played the the mobile game. So maybe it's kind of like let's get them off that format and into a game that everybody's going to play, so that these tracks exist uh, in a medium that can be enjoyed. Well, I mean, in fairness, the, that tour game has made them uh, a healthy amount of bank, a healthy amount of coins. So I don't know if they're, they're that concerned about it. But I mean, like, I, I didn't really spend any time with the mobile game. So um, I'm, I'm more than happy to have some of those courses on here just to kind of see how they uh, kind of fare in comparison. Um, but yeah, it's it's always fascinating, certainly with Nintendo specifically, when this kind of thing happens, when stuff gets data mined. Mm. And obviously we'll see like how accurate it is. Um, but it yeah, it's always surprising when it's Nintendo specifically just because of how like not approachable their stuff is for this kind of thing. Um Yeah. But it, yeah. It, they they'll crack onto this guy after they reclaimed your retroid pocket. Mark. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> uh, can I just say as well in a final uh, bonus fun thing, uh, news story wise, uh, people. One of the fun things about uh, playing along with Elden Ring as other people are is that people are like discovering secrets in the game as they're playing it, and you're getting to see this shit in real time. Uh, so there's a thing, a tradition in the Soulsborne games that like within dungeons and areas like that, sometimes there are walls that are not walls and you can hit it and reveal a secret room. I don't know if you guys saw this tweet that was going around a few I, hours I've ago. I've seen it, yeah. 
Yeah, I so don't think I'm normally, the for it, but whatever. Yeah, normally it's one hit reveals the the area, but uh, in this case, someone found a secret wall that has a room behind it that you need to hit fifty times before oh it my opens. God. And as uh, our good friend and co-host Garrett Kidney just tweeted out, from software are absolute sickos for this. <laughs> that's 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 evil. But, yeah. and, and on the fiftieth hit, does something jump out and immediately? trying to eat your no, face as no, well the, the, the wall just collapses and you get to go into a cool looking kind of banquet hall by the looks of it but I didn't and there's watch three runes in there yeah. I mean I do have to bring up the immediate point of who is the fucking lunatic who's going around hitting every single wall 50 times yeah well uh, thankfully they did thankfully they did um, anyway look let's leave it at that that's another episode of Link to the Cast in the bag um if you want to check out what we're doing, interact with us about the stuff we've been talking about on the show, tell us something that you've been playing or that you'd like to cover or uh, give us some more wrestler food portmanteaus um, that might be better than Chris Benoit on soup or Big Boss Manwich or uh, my Jericho float. Um, please do uh, tweet us at link to the casts. Uh, follow us on there. Um Individually, I'm at the day to Dave. Mark is at Lithium Project. Jack is at Jack Lazell. And the absent Garrett is at Garrett Kidney. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Link to the Cast. We'll be back next week. And until then, stay safe, be well. We'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.